I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. From MCIE. Sometimes, though certainly not all the time, social media can bring about interesting and thoughtful conversations. May 26th, 2021. Facebook. Sarah Joe. I was asked yesterday if I thought, quote, special education classes, parentheses, segregated classes, had any place slash value in education. And just so we are all clear, no, they do not. Comment, A.W. I am often surprised at the number of parents who feel their students get better services when segregated. How do you respectfully reply to those parents who feel this way? Janice Fialka. Your question is one that deserves to be asked. I am happy to talk in detail about it. As a parent, social worker, and activist, I started out believing that special ed was the right place for Micah. That was 30 years ago. With careful research, finding the right leaders in the field, being treated with respect for my own growth and questioning, we eventually learned about inclusion and was won over. It was a journey requiring relationship building and respect for how we all integrate new info. Sarah Jo. Such an important question. I can give my experience, but Janice Fialka is an absolute expert. I always start with understanding what they are afraid will or won't happen in Gen Ed. So often it is fear and not knowing what inclusion is. Janice. Yes to fear and not knowing, and not rushing folks to know what you know. These thoughts are the beginning of an important article that needs to be made public or even a podcast. Well, folks, you asked for a podcast, you shall receive a podcast. Here is Janice Fialka, author and activist, telling me about how her journey to inclusion started. 30 some years ago when Micah started 
public education, he was in a self-container segregated classroom. And, um, you know, I was a social worker, so I thought services for someone with a label is good. That's what I knew, right? Um, thank goodness I unknew that, but unlearned that. But but Micah came home one day, and as the story goes, he he said, you know, I want to go in the same door as all my friends. Mm-hmm. And that's what started us on this journey towards inclusion. And Sarah Jo, activist and educator, saying what inclusive education means to her. Inclusive education to me is a process by which we include all students, regardless of ability, disability, um, language, national origin, right, race, creed, um, sexual orientation in the general education classroom. And we work as educators to create a space in which all these students learn. Hey, y'all. My name is Tim Viegas, and you are listening to the Think Inclusive podcast presented by MCIE. This podcast exists to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. To find out more about who we are and what we do, check us out at thinkinclusive.us or on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, take our podcast listener survey Your responses will help us develop a better podcast experience. Go to bit.ly slash TI podcast survey to submit your responses. We greatly appreciate it. Today on the podcast, we interview activists and advocates, Janice Fialka and Sarah Jo Soldaveri. We talk about what we really mean by inclusive education, what might make the biggest impact to bring inclusive education to school districts, and how to talk to families who think segregated special education classrooms are really best for their child. We are so glad you're listening. And now, our interview with Janice Fialka and Sarah Jo Soldaveri. So today on the Think Inclusive podcast, I'd like to welcome Janice Fialka and Sarah Jo Soldaveri. Um, we're going to talk about some really great things today. I'm excited. Um, would you mind, Janice and Sarah Jo, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to our audience and we can start with Janice. Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jim, for inviting us. I really look forward to the conversation. Nice to be with Sarah Jo and nice to see you again, Tim. So uh, the question, who am I? Um, I am a longtime activist, advocate. Uh, I'm the mother of two adult children, Micah and Emma. Uh, Micah has um, was in the film in, uh, Intelligent Lives, featured one of the individuals. He uh, lives interdependently in Syracuse has an intellectual disability. So in many ways, he's been all of our family's teacher or door opener to the world of disability. Long time uh, in, in that in that world. I'm a social worker by by trade. And let's see, I love to shovel snow. Uh, so I'll leave it at that a little bit. Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad somebody does. Shovel snow, that is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Sarah joke. 
Yes, and thank you, thank you, Tim, so much for having me. Um, Janice, it's always an honor to to talk and work and be in community with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sarah Jo Soldeberry. I'm a doctoral student at Syracuse University studying, studying inclusive special education. I'm an inclusive special educator by training. I'm also the proud product of a fully inclusive school um, in which I was first introduced um, as a child to what inclusive ed is. I was previously at the National Down Syndrome Society where I created and ran their inclusive education program. Um, some of you may have seen me in the recent documentary, Forget Me Not, um, in which we're bringing to light the, um, the situation in New York City with inclusive education. Um, and I am a long time, relatively uh, <laughs> advocate for inclusive ed, uh, disability rights, um, and I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. Um, so the, the reason why this all came together was a conversation in a Facebook thread. And to be honest, I, I don't even remember the post, but the comments were surrounding, um, you know, what do we do? How do we advocate for inclusive education um, with parents uh, and, you know, and educators who really believe that segregated special education classrooms are our best for the, for their um, students and for their children. So before we get into that big conversation, why don't we just, um, you know, set some, you know, talk about maybe define what we're actually talking about. So, because I know sometimes when we talk about inclusive education, people have different ideas of what that actually means. So, in your words, you know, uh, you don't have to, you know, just have a um, uh, a specific definition. But in, you know, how would you describe inclusive education um, to our audience? And either Janice or Sarah Jo can can take this. Go ahead, Sarah Jo, and I'll yeah. I'll in. Perfect. You know, so the lens of, through which this Facebook post was was looking at was for students with intellectual and and more what we used to consider complex disabilities, right? And I like to kind of push back on that notion of what a complex disability is. Um, but inclusive education to me is a process by which we include all students, regardless of ability, disability, um, language, national origin, right? Race, creed, um, sexual orientation in the general education classroom. And we work as educators to create a space in which all these students learn. Yeah, thanks, Sarah Jo. I think that is really important to lift that up. The sort of the way that I, as a, a mother and maybe as a social worker, frame it, um, and it, so similarly, is that it's kids with and without disabilities or labels, learning, laughing, being in the same classroom, and receiving the necessary supports that they need. That's so important. It's not just, as we used to say, dumping kids mm -hmm. in the same classroom so that they can really thrive and grow. And that grow is so relative mm -hmm. to the individual as well. And they're growing the, as an individual and they're cognitive, emotional, but also as a community, mm -hmm. um, they're growing as an inclusive community. So that would be what I would add. So what are the, what do you think are the biggest barriers to realizing, you know, that vision of 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 what we're talking about with inclusive education? 
I mean, I, I think it's a multifaceted issue, right? We have, you know, as, as a scholar in, in looking at teacher prep programs, we have teacher prep programs that still teach students have to earn their way in. We had, it's not a it's not an accepted notion of presuming competence. So we have a structural issue in how we're training future teachers. We have a structural issue in that IDA allows for segregation. You know, LRE is flawed. Um, and I know folks don't want to touch IDEA, but I'm one that says, you know, we have to move past the segregated, allowing for segregation. And then there's a mindset issue, right? There's a, we don't, I don't think as a society, we do enough to educate folks around presuming competence, around disability justice, around, you know, these models of disability. And the assumption just sort of is that parents will, once they have a disabled child, that they'll, they'll do all this back work. Um, but that's not, that's not fair. And that's how we see, you know, those who have the most privilege really pushing for inclusive ed because they're the ones who can spend the time, do the research, right? Um, hire an advocate, take time off of work. And so we have to be able to meet parents where they're at and explain the benefits and, and also get past that fear. Because when you have parents who didn't go through an inclusive education, who don't have the resource, the the, the economic, the 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 different capitals to do this, you know, that's why we have folks who continuously perpetuate this even for their own students. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, I just want to keep revisiting each of the things that you raised up, Sarah Jo. My number one point was teacher preparation. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the long term. But in terms of the specific, I think one of the things our daughter, Emma, um, is now a principal in Boston, um, very supportive and um, skilled in inclusive education. And one of the things I asked her last night, well, how to respond to this question was, she said there's an overemphasis on finding the right setting as opposed to creating the right setting. Mm. And I just thought, you know, that that's it. We don't, none of us really know how to do this. I mean, none of us really know how to live, right? <laughs> I mean, and so we move into it through conversation and reflection. And I'll just add that I think one of the things that we noticed um, as we supported Micah to be fully included um, was that there wasn't the emphasis on conversation or reflection among all of the professionals. So we can learn so much when the speech therapist or the general ed teacher or the art teacher or the maintenance person come together and explore what's working and what isn't working. So those structures of reflection um, also I think need to be in place. So that's a couple of thoughts to add. Do you think the IEP process is a barrier? Absolutely. I mean, I um, I put something out again. I say I'm on social media to cause problems, but I put something out a few months ago that said I'm I'm not interested in working within special education systems. I'm interested in burning down the structures that we have. These systemic issues of segregation. The IEP allows kids to be segregated. I mean, I, I had a professor at SU once that said, if you build it, you'll fill it. Right? You build a, a segregated spot, you're going to find kids who are who you think fit there. So I would love to see what we have completely thrown out and let's build it. Let's build it again. Yeah, that, that's great. You know, what we learned is that often the general ed teachers 
um, really did not pay attention or even read the IEPs. And so we created a one-page form. I used to be 10 pages, but then I realized most professionals do not have time to read all of that. <laughs> so just a one-page um, conversation about what Micah is learning, what other, what we've all learned in terms of how support to support him, you know, and eventually we did something that I know a lot of people haven't done is that Micah's peers were involved in exploring with him and the teachers what's working and how do we support them. So again, it's also this engagement of community that I mentioned. In fact, I'll just quickly share my husband, who's a longtime activist from the 60s and, and really understands the importance of changing the system. When we would go to the IEP meetings, he would say the first IEP goal is to change the school. <laughs> a big noble issue, right? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's really important, Sarah Jo, is that how much the IEP really segregates in and of itself. Thank you mm -hmm. for that. This is something that Sarah Jo, I know, I know Janice knows, but um, something that Sarah Jo you may not know about me was that I taught in segregated self-contained classrooms for, well, essentially 13 years. <laughs> and, and so, and since my first year, um, I got, I, my teacher training was at Cal State Fullerton, uh, California State University Fullerton, where I was trained in inclusive education. But then I had to get a job and my job was a, um, my credential was in adapted or modified curriculum. And so what ends up happening it for me and for a lot of other people who believe in inclusion, the only job that you can get is in a segregated self-contained classroom. Um, so even though I tried and to make change at my schools in California and then, uh, and then following, uh, my move to Georgia, um, there's, it's difficult to make change from the inside out, right? Um, and sometimes there just aren't the options um, that are available. So I'm making that connection to families who say, no, 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 I don't want that for my child. I don't want to, to uh, have my child endure all of the barriers that it's going to take for this for their education to be successful. So I'm wondering, is, um, do you run across that in, in your day-to-day -day conversations? Um, and what would, you, what would you say to a parent who is struggling with this, this concept? Well, I, I'll start. Um, I wouldn't say a lot initially. I would listen. And, you know, I talk a lot about this in my work is listening is one of the most underrated skills because it looks so easy. You know, you just sort of <laughs> lean in, nod your head. Mm -hmm. But listening when you really uh, are present with the other person's thought takes an enormous amount of work. Right. Because you have to challenge yourself to be with. So that's one of the things that in my own work that I um, do a lot of. Um, you know, uh, conversations about is to step back and listen and build a relationship with families um, or teachers or whatever it might be. 
that's hard when we feel so passionate about something. I mean, and we're so clear that this is a really um, humane way to go, right? Inclusion and social justice. Um, and I, so I, so I think that not negating the importance of listening, asking what are your fears, what are your hopes, what is it about special ed that that you know uh, you feel like is the right answer or the right way of being. So not to rush to responses, not to rush to resolution, and that is hard. One, when you feel passion, two, when you feel like you don't have a lot of time and and three, when, you know, you, you want to give so much to the child. Um, so I so enough said, but I could go on and on about that. I think and I'll end and t- turn it over to Sarah. Maybe I'll say two things. One is listening can help build relationships and relationships is, uh, is the place, the safe place where we can explore differences and things that were are unknown to us. I will say that to you, 30 some years ago when Micah started public education, he was in a self-container segregated classroom. And, um, you know, I was a social worker, so I thought services for someone with a label is good. That's what I knew, right? Um, thank goodness I unknew that, but unlearned that. But but Micah came home one day, and as the story goes, he he said, you know, I want to go in the same door as all my friends. Mm-hmm. And that's what started us on this journey towards inclusion. But we had to also hear the stories from other families about what that meant. So sometimes it might take three, four, five years to move mm-hmm. into that. So I'll stop there, Sarah Jo, and yeah. move forward. No, I, I think that's, that's all where I would say I start as well is, is, is listening. And it is hard, right? Because as I'm one who's, you know, I would get rid of all self-segregated spaces today if I could, um, if I had that magic wand. But understanding what is, I guess, what, what is your fear with this? What are you afraid of? Because often it comes from a, I've found that it comes from a place of I want to protect my child. I then follow up with the, well, where do you see your child in 15 years? Because after K-12 education, we cannot create an artificial environment for them in the way that we do. Um, there's also this, this piece about parents knowing their rights. So many folks I talk to say, well, I'm told this can only happen over here. And so that misunderstanding of, no, you can still have the most intensive services in a gen ed classroom. We're not throwing a student out to, um, to sink or swim. And then really diving into what skills when we talk about skills that students need when they graduate K-12 education, what is that? It's not being able to fold towels. It's not having a coffee cart. It's having relationships with peers and advocating for yourself and, and having critical thinking skills. And the best place for that is general education. And so helping parents come along and understanding that Um and sometimes it can take, right? Sometimes I have folks I work with and I'm like, let's just start with specials. Like, if we're really fearful, let's start there. Um, and then we work our way our way up. And, and I'm comfortable doing that because I've never had a family come back and say, I wish we hadn't done that. Because inclusion works when you have the right support. So sometimes it's building that trust. And that can be said with schools too, with families and schools. And let's just try it. Let's, you know, let's try it. Let's give all the supports. and. I was a betting person. I'm going to bet on inclusion every time. So keep on going. <laughs> okay. Um, well, now, now I forgot what I was going to say. Um, 
I wanted to talk about educators or school systems that really dig their heels in. So, you know, we have been talking about families and schools being collaborative and schools being receptive to change. But there are times when school systems say, no, we're not going to do that. No, your student doesn't belong in the general ed class. Um, they belong in the self-contained class. So when a family who wants and is advocating for an inclusive education uh, hits that roadblock, um, there's a choice that has to be made. So the choice is, do I fight for what I think is right? Do I have the capacity to fight, right? Or do I say, we're just going to make the, the best of the situation? Um, then there's a lot of families that, that are in that situation. So I would love for you to respond to those families. Like what, any advice on, on how to move forward? I will say, and of course, I'm not a parent, right? So I always like to say, you know, it's it's very easy for me to say from my apartment in Syracuse, you know, what what I think, but it's a different thing to live it. Um, I I will say, I believe it's a fight worth fighting for. Um, and I say to my family, you know, I will be with you thousand percent every step of the way. Now. I'm not ignorant to think that everyone can go hire a lawyer, right? Um, that everyone can find an advocate to to do this. Um, I hope I hope folks find find that community and reach out to you know us. But I will say that you know going to mediation, you know filing due process. Yes, it's scary, um, but what's even scarier are the phone calls I get from families who have students who are 19, 20, 21 years old in segregated settings who are about to age out and say, we have no skills. We're headed for a shelter workshop. What do we do? And I, I have a, a, one family I work very, very closely with. And, and she, the mom keeps reminding me, you know, you either pay now or you pay later. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we, we balance this um, and I think part of it is finding community and, and looking at alternate ways that are not just the traditional mediation due process. One thing I've been doing with many families, and I would of course say I'm not a lawyer. Um, but one thing I do with some of my families is we actually revoke consent for special education services and just use a 504 plan and say, and sort of force the school districts, hey, I'm like, you don't want to play nice? Like, neither are we. Um, the, the, systemically, the problem is school districts tend to have a blank check to work with. So you will always outlast the families if school districts really dig their heels in enough. Um, so what can we do that gives us the power back? And that's one, one tool we've, I've used it. And I'll say, of course, small data set, right? But worked 100% of the time that I've implemented it with the folks I've worked with. Um, so I want, I'm going to throw that out there. I feel like that's, that's a, it's a secret folks don't know about. And I want, I want, want people to, to, to remember that that's an option. You don't have to consent to these services. Yeah, I love it. That's that that is so burn burn it down, Sarah Joe. I love it. <laughs> I have I the, it's funny. We have we have um I work with a, an advocate here in in Georgia uh mm -hmm. where I live that have, have that has done that. 
and uh, we're like, I was like, ooh, that is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, Janice, did you want to add anything? Oh, sorry, Sarah Joe, if I cut you off. I was just yeah. saying, I once, I once I coordinated it where I had every student, I was working with students with Down, I, I mostly work with students with Down syndrome, although I kind of cross every student with Down syndrome in that district revoked consent on the exact same day. <laughs> and guess what they did? They hired an inclusion training to come in the next year because, so again, it it's, it's a fun, it's a fun secret, especially if you can coordinate it well. <laughs> Well, yes, and and we need for creative folks like you to tell those secrets because family members often don't know them and educators often don't know them. I, I totally agree with what's being said. I also know perhaps as a parent and as a social worker that each family has to also access, access uh, assess where they are emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, it does... It may take a fight and every family may not be able to be that do that in that particular moment in their life. So even though a family may have experienced segregation of their child to the age of 19, 20, 21, I also don't want to, and I know you don't either, Sarah Jo or Tim, limit that you can't make changes at any age. Amazing things happen. Um, and sometimes it takes a different route than what, you know, we might want to advocate for. Because I've worked with families whose kids have been segregated throughout uh, K through 12. And now they're living more interdependently as well. So, um, you know, I do think there are small things you can do if you're not able at that moment in time. Nothing's forever for the most part. Um, that you can. I always say to families... Um, and had to practice this myself, who in that building is most supportive and gets what you're trying to do to support your child to, to thrive? And there's always somebody, the art teacher, whatever, and that's the person to sit down and say, I'm not asking you to change the system. Talk to me about what we can do in a small way, because that builds community. You you talked about that, Sarah Jo, about finding community. That's essential. So I want to also give like tidbits of hope mm -hmm. um, as well. So yes, and and I just to end with, we, you know, I don't want our son Micah to be the exception. Everybody should have the opportunities that he has too. So yeah, good rich conversation. Yes, thank you for saying that. I think those are all fantastic points. It's ne never too late to enter an inclusive, mm -hmm. inter interdependent world. Absolutely, I'm I'm muting myself because my my dog is having a, <laughs> okay. a moment up. Um, well, is there is there anything that you wished I would have asked you, or anything that you? would want to add to our conversation? Well, I, I'll, I'll go. Um, because I think one of the most important lessons that I've learned uh, from Micah and the disability justice community and many other people is the ability to ask for help or to invite support, which is so contrary to, quote, the American way. I mean, pretty soon we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be um, celebrating July 4th. 
Independence Day. And if you go to my Facebook on that day, I always say I'm changing as if I have any authority. I'm changing the day to Happy Interdependence Day. And and be I mean that what I want my kids and my community and myself on my good days to be able to do is to reach out to others. Um, even when I'm not sure I know how to do it and to ask for help without apology, but with dignity and respect and intention. And I think that's at the core of all social movements um, as well. So um, I, I'm gonna quickly end with a story that Mike has given me permission to tell, uh, to, um, to illustrate this in such a beautiful way. And then I look forward to hearing Sarah Jo. So when Michael was flying at one point, um, he was flying by himself and he wasn't, uh, he wasn't really comfortable flying at that point. And uh, there was terrible turbulence on the plane as they were landing. So I knew when I, we greeted him at the baggage claim that, you know, he would be a little bit troubled. And, and indeed he was. And I, I said to Mike, uh, you know, um, how did you get through that? What was that like? And he said, well, I was really scared. So I turned to the person next to me and told that person that I was a bit scared and would they hold my hand. And I thought, that's the world I want to live in. I won't always get it returned, but more likely I will. So that's the big umbrella that I bring to this conversation. Thanks so much, Tim. And please, Sarah Jo, share. Oh, wow. That's such, that's such an amazing point. And I, I think something I've learned, you know, yes, from having the privilege of knowing you is seeing how much that interdependence is. None of you say this, none of us are truly independent, right? I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my friendship with Micah, right? Or my friendship with you all and, and my chosen family and, and all these people along the way. I would guess I would add the last pieces to question everything. Um, I often say this as a PhD student, I feel like I know less now than I did when I came into it because I'm just left with more questions. Um, and so I, I ask that for, for families, question why, why do we do it this way? Why is the system this way? For teachers, the same thing. Why, why am I doing this in my practice? And why is the larger school community doing this in practice? Um, because I feel, I've seen as though we, we've gone down this path of we just do this because that's what we do. We give an IEP because that's what the system says. As opposed to, I know that system's not working, so let's dive into it. Um, last piece, just find, find community. Um, I get, I, I'm so honored to get calls and texts of teachers all the time that are like, I feel like I'm alone in this. I'm like, you're not. We're, we're here for you. We're rooting for you. We are, you know, what do you need? Um, because there are days it's hard. It's hard work, but it's worth it. Um, and Tim, thank you so much for having us for this really important conversation. Yes, very. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you to uh, Janice Fialka and Sarah Joe Soldaveri. That will do it for this episode of the Think Inclusive podcast. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, the Anchor app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a question or comment? Email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you're listening. Thank you to patrons Veronica E., Sonia A., Pamela P., 
Mark C., Kathy B., and Kathleen T. for their continued support of the podcast. When you become a patron, your contribution helps us with the cost of audio production, transcription, and promotion of the Think Inclusive podcast. And you could even get a shout out like the fine people we just mentioned. Go to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast to become a patron today and get access to all our unedited interviews, including our conversation with Janice Fialka and Sarah Jo Soldaveri. Thank you for helping us equip more people to promote and sustain inclusive education. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at mcie.org. We will be back in a couple of weeks to talk with Michael McSheehan to discuss multi-tiered systems of support, universal design for learning, and why sometimes we are the biggest barrier to inclusive education. All the general educators I've ever worked with, once they have that first moment of, oh my gosh, I can reach Jack. Like, I am now connected with Jack. And Jack was a student I never knew I could connect with. That teacher's on fire for the rest of the year. They're good. They need that moment. But if we're always in this getting ready for the change thing, and we never put the kids physically in the room, people don't get those great experiences. Thanks for your time and attention. Until next time, remember, inclusion always works. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.